Well, at a seminar called Stress and Disease, Dr. Nicholas Hall, an expert in psychobiology, gave an example of a coping skill for job stress. And with just slight hesitation, I want to share it with you. When you've had one of those, I hate my job and everybody I work with days, he says, try this. On your way home after work, stop at your pharmacy and go to the section where they have thermometers. You will need to purchase a rectal thermometer made by Q-tip. Be sure that you get this brand. When you get home, lock the door, draw the drapes, turn off your phone so that you will not be disturbed by your th during your therapy. Change into comfortable clothes, such as a sweatsuit, and lie down on your bed. Open the package containing the thermometer, remove the thermometer, and carefully place it on the bedside table so that it will not become chipped or broken. Take the written material that accompanies the thermometer, and as you read it, you will notice in small print the statement that says, quote, every rectal thermometer made by Q-tip is personally tested, end quote. Now close your eyes and say out loud five times, I am so glad that I do not work in quality control at Q-tip. I'll probably get a few emails about that one. As we continue, though, our study on the life of David, as we continue talking about gaining a heart for God, we want to look at this subject of surviving a bad leader. And after I announced that title, I expected last night in our service or today to see the entire staff kind of lined up in front of me with notepads and a pen, you know, ready to take careful notes and... Um, I'm just joking. I know that our staff loves me because they feel very free to ridicule me and mock me. And on our staff, that's a sign of love and respect. But be careful. That doesn't work with all bosses. Some are just so sensitive. And you might love your boss or you might struggle in your relationship with your boss, but you probably have a boss unless you own your own business and you work for yourself. And many of you deal with several layers of leaders in the chain of command at your job. But our job isn't the only place that we deal with leaders. The sports teams your kids play on has a coach or several that you deal with. And the club that you belong to or the board that you sit on has a leader. And our church has both staff and volunteer leaders in many areas. And we have political leaders on a local, state, and national level. And chances are, in some area you feel like you are dealing with a bad leader. Most of us do in some area of our life. And we already know from our previous messages in this series that David was dealing with a bad leader. Saul had been appointed king by God, but he had disobeyed God, and God had decided to fire him as king. And David had been anointed as the future king when he was a young child, but he was waiting for Saul to step down from the throne or be removed. And 
In the first week, we found that Saul had some mental problems, and David played the harp and sang for him to calm him when he was having difficult days. Then last week, we found Saul and the entire army cowering in fear while Goliath taunted them and challenged them to do battle, and David fought the battle and won. Today's message will cover several chapters and many years. It will show us that Saul became an increasingly bad leader. And uh, we will learn how to deal with bad leaders in our life by looking at the example of David. And because uh, the most common place for us to encounter bad leaders is in our job, I will use that as the primary context for our message. So let's jump right in. Let's look at five actions for surviving a bad leader. Five actions. The first is this. Choose to submit. Choose to submit. We touched on this during the first message, but two of the major lessons from the life of David that happen over and over again is how to submit to authority and how to properly exert authority. How to exert authority comes later in David's life, but during this time, deciding to submit to authority was the primary lesson that David was learning. David has slain Goliath, and he's a hero in the land, and it isn't surprising that King Saul wants him to continue to serve in important ways. Look at this passage from 1 Samuel chapter 18. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. Whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns in Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. He, this refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Understand, Saul is still a hero in the eyes of his people, but he's jealous because they've credited David with more success than him. And he assumes right away that David is out to get him. So he starts watching David with a jealous eye. And if you read the book of 1 Samuel carefully, you'll see that Saul sends David out into battle. In at least one case, he sends David specifically to battle, hoping that he will get killed. And David submits to everything that Saul wants him to do. And God is with David, and he succeeds. And the more that he succeeds, the more popular he becomes. And the more popular he is, the more jealous Saul is. And the more uh, jealous Saul is, the more Saul wants to harm him. There's a weird passage that tells us one of the ways that Saul tries to harm David. It's not in your printed notes, but look at the screen. Now, Saul's daughter, Michael, was in love with David, And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. 
I will give her to him, he thought, so that she may be a snare to him and so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. So Saul said to David, now you have a second opportunity to become my son-in-law. Wow. Did you catch Saul's opinion of his daughter? Did you catch it? I mean, with glee, he says, I know how I'll get to David. I'll let him marry my little girl. (laughs) She'll be a snare to him. He didn't have a real high opinion of his daughter, Michael. But no matter what Saul did, David decided to submit to him. He chose to submit. Even though Saul was out to get him and was absolutely corrupt and crazy, still, David chose to submit. Doesn't that just go against everything that seems American to us? We talk about those that we submit to needing to earn our respect or being worthy of following. But over and over in the Bible, we are taught to submit to the leaders in authority above us no matter what. So how do we decide or choose to submit to a bad leader? Two suggestions. First, see them as God sees them. See them as God sees them. Stop seeing them as bad leaders. Start seeing them as people that God loves. Start seeing them as people that God cares about. Attempt to love them like God does. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He said this, You have heard people say, love your neighbors and hate your enemies, but I tell you to love your enemies and pray for anyone who mistreats you. How long has it been since you showed love to those people that mistreat you? How long has it been since you prayed for that leader that is frustrating you so much? And so first, see them as God sees them. Secondly, respond according to their position, not their personality. Their position, not their personality. This is what David did. He didn't endorse what Saul did wrong, but he did show proper submission to Saul's position. Look at what he says in 1 Samuel 24, verse 6. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. This is a huge factor for David in the area of submission. He didn't harm Saul or even speak disrespectfully to him because he understood that God had anointed him king and he had placed this system of authority in place. And I think far too many of us have overlooked what scripture says about submitting to and honoring our church leaders and our political leaders. We need to be careful here. Submitting to leaders, even when we disagree with them, is something that God clearly wants us to do. And figuring out how to do that will help me gain a heart for God. So the first way we survive a bad leader is to choose to submit to them. The second is don't retaliate. Don't retaliate. Now, I need to explain just a little bit about this next verse. This apparently happened the day after the women sang about Saul killing thousands and David his tens of thousands. And the passage says that an evil spirit from God came forcibly on Saul. And many of you will wonder what that means. And you can read lots of books and lots of commentaries about it. Some would say that God caused it, that he 
sent the evil spirit to afflict Saul. Some would say God allowed it. I think I would say that. Scripture seems to clearly indicate that Saul had opened himself to evil influences. And God may have protected him from the consequences uh, of that for a time. But when it became clear that Saul wasn't even trying to follow him, God just didn't stop this evil spirit from coming upon him. But whichever of those two choices you choose, either way, the point is Saul, while serving in his official capacity as king and as prophet of Israel, starts dealing with this evil spirit. He starts having one of his mental breakdowns. Look at what happened in 1 Samuel 18. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcibly upon Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. So David's playing the harp, he's singing, he's trying to calm the king as he had done many times, and suddenly the king throws a spear at him, trying to kill him. Now, what is the natural thing to do when somebody throws a spear at you? You pry it out of the wall and throw it back, right? That's the natural thing to do. And maybe you're thinking, well, pastor, nobody is throwing spears at me. Well, maybe not literally. What about verbal barbs? Do you feel like anyone's backstabbing you, talking bad about you? Anyone taking cheap shots? Is anyone attempting character assassination, assassination against you? When those attacks come, especially from a leader, our first reaction is to strike back. We want to launch a counterattack, sometimes by talking to others around us. Often today it's done on Twitter or Facebook, but David didn't do that. He didn't do that. He just ducked. He did his best not to get hit by the spear. And when the bad leaders in our life or just petty people in our lives begin throwing verbal spears, we can't retaliate. We can't retaliate. Look at what 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says. Do not do wrong to repay a wrong. And do not insult to repay an insult, but repay with a blessing because you yourselves were called to do this so that you might receive a blessing. Now, you might think that that one was hard, but look at the next one. The third action for surviving a bad leader is to demonstrate loyalty. To demonstrate loyalty. We're moving forward in the story. And Saul has continued to throw spears, and David, uh, and he has decided to kill David, and David tries everything. I mean, he gets Jonathan, Saul's son, and David's best friend to talk to Saul, and that works for a while, but Saul is still determined to kill David. And so David is running for his life, and Saul is chasing him in the desert down near the Dead Sea. And David and his men are hiding in caves that are in that area. If we go together to uh, Israel someday, I will show you that area. And one day, Saul is chasing David, and he goes into a cave. And Scripture is very, very clear about what Saul is doing in that cave. He's going to the bathroom. 
That's what he's doing according to scripture. And the cave that he happens to choose is a large cave that David and his men are hiding in. And David's men whisper to him and they say, this is your chance. This is your chance to kill him. And so David sneaks up with a knife and he cuts off a corner of Saul's robe. And Saul doesn't even know he's there and he finishes what he's doing and then he leaves the cave. Look what happens next in 1 Samuel 24. Then David went out of the cave and he called out to Saul, My Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you. But I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut it off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebelling. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. There's a similar story in 1 Samuel 26 where David sneaks in and steals Saul's spear and water jug while he and the whole army are sleeping. And then he uses that to show Saul that he isn't a threat, that, uh, the threat that they think he is. You see, he's demonstrating his loyalty to Saul. Many times bad leaders feel threatened by people who work under them. They feel insecure and they think that you're trying to take their job and so they become very territorial and they feel a need to make you look bad. How many of you have had that happen to you? So have I. Now, in fairness, the reason some leaders feel that way is they've had people under them not choose to submit. And they've had people actually try to make them look bad or actually try and take their job. I've had that happen too. But David's plan of dealing with this situation was a good one. He knew that he was no threat to Saul. He was never going to kill the king. He was never going to try to remove the king. He had chosen to submit, but the king didn't seem to know that. So David decided to demonstrate his loyalty to the king. Is it possible that your leader feels insecure about your loyalty? Maybe she or he shouldn't, but they do. Maybe they would treat you better if you showed them that they can trust you. Many times, this can just be done with a face-to-face -face conversation, talking to them about how you can help them move forward their vision and accomplish their goals. Maybe it's clear that... Uh, you, Make it clear that you know that they are the leader and that you are there to follow them and assist them. You can also use this time to express some of your feelings, but be sure that you emphasize your loyalty while expressing those feelings. So when you're working with a bad leader, choose to submit and don't retaliate and demonstrate loyalty. But if those steps don't work, you may need to leave quietly. You may need to leave quietly, whether we like it or not. Sometimes even when we're doing uh, these other steps, they just don't quite work. David was serving a mentally ill leader. 
And it became apparent that Saul was always going to see him as a threat. And so David decides it's time for him to leave. And his best friend, Saul's son Jonathan, argues with him. Saul says, no, you don't need to leave. You're uh, making this situation seem worse than it really is. And so they set up a test. And you can read that test in the Bible later. But Saul miserably fails the test. And so Jonathan, Saul's son, has to go to David, his best friend. And he has to confirm to his best friend that his dad is trying to kill him. With sadness, Jonathan tells David, David, you need to run for your life. You need to run for your life. Jonathan is siding with David in this situation, but something significant happens here. David didn't ask Jonathan to run with him. You see, now Jonathan has already said that he knows that David is going to be the next king, that Jonathan would not become the next king. And Jonathan's siding with David, but David doesn't ask Jonathan to run with him. And David runs for his life, but apparently he leaves alone. Apparently he leaves alone. Look at what it says in 1 Samuel 21. David went to Nob to Amimelech the priest. Amimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? Now the priest is surprised to see David alone and is scared by that. And this time frame isn't David's proudest time. It isn't his proudest time. We begin to see as we talked about in the first message, that David sometimes sins, that he sometimes purposely chooses to do things that God would not want him to do. And still he has a heart for God. Even though he has a heart for God, even though God says he's a man after God's own heart, sometimes he chooses to sin. And just a side note, that's a good thing for you and I to understand. Because that means even though sometimes we fall, even though sometimes we make a choice to do something God would not like, still we can gain a heart for God. And so this isn't the proudest time in David's life. And David lies to this priest. He tricks the priest into helping him by convincing the priest that David is on a mission for Saul. And Saul, sadly, will later kill all of the priest's for helping David escape. And David first goes and hides amongst the enemies of his country. And then while he's there, he gets scared that the enemy is going to kill him. And so he pretends to be insane. And this is when David begins to hide in caves. But it seems he's pretty much alone in the caves, at least at the beginning. Then other people begin to deal with this mentally ill king, this bad leader. Other people begin to leave, and pretty soon they find out where David is, and they begin to gather together, and David becomes their leader. And in 1 Samuel 22, it indicates that the group had grown to about 400 people. See, the big question we often have when we're dealing with a bad leader is, should you always leave quietly? 
I mean, you wonder if there's a big problem at work. You know, the boss is sexually harassing all the women or the boss has a chemical dependency problem or an ethics problem or they're violating laws and safety procedures. Is it really right to just leave quietly? It's a hard question. When should you make some noise? I mean, it just seems so wrong to leave knowing there's a problem without expressing the problem. Yet if we're honest in those situations, our hurt and our emotion also makes it really likely that A, we aren't going to be heard when we express those concerns, and B, we are seeing the problem as bigger than it really is. So as you're thinking about whether or not you should make some noise, you just really need to pray about the situation. It's amazing how often Scripture uh, says that those who are right, those who are godly, are quiet in the face of conflict. It's amazing how seldom they defend themselves and their rights. On the night that Jesus was arrested, while they're trying to get him condemned to death, they're totally lying about Jesus. They can't even seem to lie well. They can't get two liars to come up with the same lie. But they're totally lying about Jesus, and he's absolutely silent. He didn't defend himself. So always check your heart on this. Ask yourself, am I trying to protect someone or punish someone? Am I trying to protect someone or punish someone? I learned this in a church situation in Northern California over 30 years ago. I'd been severely hurt. I'd been unfairly criticized. And it came to the point where I decided that I would leave quietly. I even defended the motives of the people who were criticizing me, the people who I thought were bad leaders. And I thought when I left that it would get better. I moved 400 miles away and thought it would get better, and it didn't. The bad leaders there started defending themselves against what they assumed that I would be saying about them. They attacked me personally. They attacked my motives. They attacked my faith and my ethics. And I wanted to defend myself. I wanted to write a letter and make some phone calls and set the record straight. And an elder in the church that we had begun serving and his wife kept saying to me, Steve, who, who do you think that you're protecting, the church or yourself? They kept saying, you don't have to defend yourself. God will do that. And a few years later, God did. He did. And I received some apologies, and I was asked to speak there again, and God was honored, and some relationships were healed. As I've told you before, eventually people will know what kind of a person you are. If your heart is good and godly, they will find that out. And if your heart is full of bad motives, they will find that out too. So when do you make some noise to try to remove or try to remove a bad leader? Well, I think in a work situation where they are in authority over you, unless you can absolutely prove beyond a shadow of a doubt immoral or illegal behavior, you don't try to remove them while you're working there. On the way out, after you've resigned, 
If you have an exit interview, you may talk about the problem. If you're trying to protect someone in the organization or the organization, but really examine your heart on this. If, if there is any chance that you're being punitive at all, just leave quietly. Just leave quietly. Let God take care of it. Let God defend you. Lastly, speak kindly. Speak kindly. I almost left this one out, but it fits here, even though when it happened was years and years down the road. In fact, one of our upcoming messages happens before this part of the story. And David has been away for many, many years at this point. Enough time that it doesn't seem like Saul is chasing him anymore. But Saul and the armies of Israel go to battle. And Saul is wounded in the battle and his sons, including Jonathan, are killed. And Saul decides to fall on his own sword and kill himself. And when word gets to David that this has happened, he doesn't celebrate. He doesn't say, well, it serves him right. Or finally, after all these years, I get to be king. Instead, he begins to grieve. He begins to mourn and to lead his people in mourning. Look at what he says about Saul in 2 Samuel chapter 1. Your glory, O Israel, lies slain on your heights. How the mighty have fallen. Saul and Jonathan, in life they were loved and gracious, and in death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Was David insincere here? I mean, was this just politics? We've seen that over the last couple of months, haven't we? I mean, we've seen politicians who said horrible, terrible things about each other, suddenly saying nice things and showing respect. Does that mean that it's all fake, that it's all insincere? I really don't think so. I really don't think so. I think it's possible for us to have differences with, pe with people and still say sincerely nice things about them. I don't think David was fake. I think that he was remembering the best days rather than the worst days. He was remembering the best days rather than the worst days. And it may have taken him years to get to the place where he could say those things uh, sincerely. Remember, it's been decades that he has uh, had this going on in his life. But I believe that David is generous and genuine. And we need to learn a lesson here. We seem to think that being mistreated gives us the right to talk bad about the person that mistreated us. It doesn't. It doesn't. Wouldn't it be better for your kids if you remembered the best things about your ex-spouse and did your best to speak kindly about them? Isn't that what you want them to do while they're talking about you? Isn't it better to do our best not to share what we hated about our last church with people in our current church? Can't we speak respectfully about the political leaders, community leaders, and church leaders that we disagree with? I think it violates scripture when we do anything else. Of course we can have different viewpoints. Of course we can express different viewpoints. But even that can be done respectfully. And if we're going to gain a heart for God, 
we need to speak kindly about those that have hurt us. We can choose to describe the best rather than the worst. And I don't know about you, but this is an area I'm still working on. This is an area where God's still working on me. Pray for me, and I will pray for you in this area too. You see, it's always better when we have leaders around us that we love. It's always better when we have great leaders. But let's face it, sometimes we have to deal with bad leaders at work or other places in our life. And it's frustrating. But if we're serious about having a heart for God, if we're serious about following Jesus fully, it means we need to deal with this whole area of submission and authority. Dealing with submission and authority in our life is crucial to us becoming the people that God wants us to be. May we each allow God to change our attitudes and change our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us and caring for us and for putting up for us, with us. Thank you, Father, for always being a good leader. Father, we confess that sometimes we haven't been good followers. Father, sometimes we've tried to be good leaders while not being good followers. And Father, help us to understand how impossible it is to lead without following. All of us, Father, are people under submission. We all have people to whom that we must choose to submit. Father, I pray right now that you will help each one of us to follow you fully, that you will help each one of us to follow you fully by choosing to submit and by not retaliating, by when necessary, demonstrating loyalty or leaving quietly. But Father, would you help us today to honor you by speaking kindly even about those we disagree with. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you, Father, that by following after you, we will always end up in the right place. In Jesus' name, amen.